The PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What if we could block a protein to stop runaway cell division? Dana-Farber Cancer Institute laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, drugs designed to treat many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Two years into the pandemic, concerns about COVID-19's impact on mental health continue to grow. We spoke with people across the country about their particular struggles and the work being done to help others suffering during the pandemic. Here is some of what they told us. My name is Jason Wu. I work in the Bay Area of California, and I am a private practice psychologist. One of my specialties is trauma, so a lot of trauma work has been done with a lot of my clients over this period of time. Um, and it's been kind of a blessing and a curse because we're really finally focusing on trauma, but then you also don't have the social support that's really important to healing trauma. My name is Shanae Curley. I live in Houston, Texas. I am a stay-at-home mom. I have three children, all in elementary school, and two of my kiddos have autism. We went on spring break and we were in San Antonio when they started shutting down cities. And I had a major, I had a major anxiety attack. I'm Andy Hutchinson. I'm a psychiatrist. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm supposed to know how to deal with this, how to navigate it, how to do the right things, how to meditate, how to run, how to take care of myself so that I don't experience depression. And yet there are times even when you know all the things that you may still struggle with depression as I have. I think what was different was that I felt like after all this happened, like in Atlanta with, you know, the really horrible tragedy that happened there, I just saw an influx of Asian clients in general. I guess it's like made aware of the fact that, yeah, mental health is a real thing. It's okay for Asian Americans to seek that out. It's There's a lot of cultural stigma with that too. I ended up calling my therapist and I was like, hey, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> like mid-March after things had shut down, I was like, I really think that this is going to be a problem. She gave me some meditation strategies and um, she said, now might be the time that we need a psychiatrist. So before COVID, I was sort of thriving. I was I was teaching mindfulness groups and um, and that switched online and kind of petered out. And my, my motivation to do that kind of went away. Um, I was exercising. I was gardening a lot. I was a, a voracious reader, so I... I ordered more books than I could I could get through just because I loved having books. And I noticed some of those things started dropping away. And I noticed I was sitting on the couch more. And I was finding myself sort of apathetic about all these things that I was passionate about. And, and it struck me. And I was like, what's going on? Like, have I just lost interest in everything? I've seen a lot of people who've dealt with depression, um, definitely out of like isolation, which kind of breeds a lot of that. Um, we're meant to be social. Uh, anxiety, for sure. I mean, um, for a lot of clients that I've had that have OCD, um, this whole pandemic has been really triggering for them. She gave me the contact information for a psychiatrist and I called her and I met with her virtually and um, and she was like, yeah, we're going to we're going to take some medicine for this. And then when this whole pandemic thing dies down then you can, you know, you can, we can wean you off. And I was like, okay, that's great. Cause it should be over soon. Right. And so here we are two years in and a second <laughs> prescription for anxiety meds. I've had to invest in more money in sort of taking care of myself. I've reached out to my own psychiatrist to get the help that I need to the support that I need and created sort of a team 
of supporters for myself. I've reached out to my friends and let them know I've been struggling at times. And we want to thank each one of you for sharing your stories with us. And now to focus on what can be done to address and improve mental health care in America, I spoke recently with Dr. Tom Insel. From 2002 to 2015, he served as director of the National Institute of Mental Health. He's the author of a new book, Healing, Our Path from Mental Illness to Mental Health. Dr. Tom Insel, welcome to the NewsHour. You've been keeping a close eye on the state of people's mental health during this entire pandemic. So hearing that people are struggling right now doesn't come as a surprise, does it? It's hardly a surprise. This has been a tough couple of years for the nation, for the world. And you see it most in people who might have been struggling even before the pandemic. To have a mental health crisis is not new. It was there in 2019, but it's more apparent. And I think there's just a lot more despair uh, going into 2022 and now starting the third year of this very difficult time. And you wrote this book in large part because you are openly alarmed at the fact that this country in your view, is so poorly equipped to deal with depression, anxiety, uh, all forms of mental illness, um, not just, as you said, not just during the pandemic, but, but all the time right now. Well, you know, when I started my career, I think we were doing a better job. I wouldn't say that about very many areas of medicine, but in mental health, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, we had a broad community-based support system. We had a safety net. We had a lot of services available, particularly for people who had the most serious forms of mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar illness, severe depression. We were prepared and we were there to serve. In the words of President Kennedy, they need no longer be alien to our affections. We've lost that and we've lost that over many decades and we've lost it in a way which means that too often people with serious mental illness end up in the criminal justice system and not the healthcare system. That's unacceptable. And it's not as if people haven't been paying attention to this. And it, as we point out, you yourself, uh, you were leading the country's uh, uh, institute, the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, for what, 13 years? Um, from what, 2002 to 2000. 15, um, you surely were looking at these problems then. We were, but you know, the National Institute of Mental Health does a spectacular job of research uh, and they go after the science of mental health. The problem here, the problem of incarceration, of homelessness, of, of early mortality for people with serious mental illness, that's actually not so much a scientific problem. And that was the discovery of my book. You know, the book I was trying to figure out why was so much progress in science have we seen increases in suicide, increases in overdose deaths, increases in morbidity and mortality for people with mental illness? And the answer is not in the science. It's not even in the care system. It's in, it's in the lack of a safety net. It's in this, the ways in which we do not provide for those people who can't provide for themselves. And that's the big tragedy because we know what to do. We can help people with these illnesses. We have good treatments. We don't need to research that part but we need to implement the sorts of treatments that NIMH and others have developed so that people can recover. And they can if we do this right, but we're not doing it right. And what does that mean to implement it? I mean, what exactly are some of the things that, that in your view, 
need to happen now? Well, to some extent, you have to fix a broken healthcare system. And that means ending a lot of the fragmentation, the way that people are paid for what I call a, a crisis-driven sick care system, not for a healthcare system. So changing the incentives in our care system. But you know, the thing that I think I learned most in working on this book was if we really care about mental health, it's about more than mental health care. We have to think beyond health care. We have to think about what I call the three Ps, people, place, and purpose, how we help people with these disorders to actually build a life. That's not about which medication you're on or what psychotherapy you're getting. It's about that, of course, that you need the medical care, but you also need you need the social supports. You need a safe place to recover. You, you need actually all of those services that give you something to live for. We aren't doing that. At least we're not doing that at scale. We're doing that in places. We need to do that far better as a nation if we want to see people with mental illness truly recover. And for people who are watching uh, Tom Insull who say, okay, I'd like to help in some way, what can individuals, is there anything individuals can do? Well, there's a lot you can do. I mean, the part of what we need to do is to create the kind of community that's been missing. And, and I will have to say that this involves all of us. It's not just about those people who have schizophrenia or bipolar illness. It's about all of us. It's a measure of who we are. We once did this. We ha used to have the kind of social fabric and the social services and the safety net that we've allowed to really get shredded. So part of what I'm talking about is, is political action. And I think we need a social movement for mental health, which is what I'm trying to start with this book, very much the way that Vice President Gore tried to start the movement for climate with inconvenient truth. This is the inconvenient truth for the mental health crisis. Dr. Tom Insull, the book is Healing, uh, Our Path from Mental Illness to Mental Health. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Judy.